two ways to get me not to preach. One, take my parking spot, and two, play some smoking jazz, and I'll just, I'll just sit down and you all, play. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see a Christmas jazz vespers in our future. Well, the peace of Christ be with you. Already is. As we settle, I invite you to take a couple of deep breaths to allow yourself to be continue, be drawn into the presence of the Spirit. Friends, may we continue to worship God. As you are able, please rise for the worship <clears throat> call to worship. Friends, God's first word to us is, do not be afraid. Let us gather and trust. God invites us to step out in faith. Let us open ourselves to greater possibilities.
You may be seated. Welcome, welcome to worship here at Westminster. If you're visiting with us, I offer a special welcome to you. I do invite all of you after worship out to our patio area and our Finley Hall for coffee, tea, snacks, especially a chance to get to know each other just a little better. If you're sitting here in the middle, if you'd pass that pew pad during the offering and look at the names of those sitting next to you. And after worship, you can greet each other by name. So let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in the bulletin. Let us pray. God, we can be stifled by fear in our lives. Some say there is nothing to be afraid of. Others appreciate real reasons that people experience fear. Help us to be and become beloved community for one another, to cultivate a faith that does not deny fear, but serves as an antidote to fear. Motivate us to alleviate the causes of fear in people's lives, working for a more just and humane world. Embolden us to step out in faith in answering your call. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God's grace continually flows through our lives, and we are forgiven to begin again, to live at peace with ourselves and others, to allow justice and love rather than fear to guide our lives. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd now like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to join me here at the front. No way. Wow. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I brought a book to share with you, one of my favorites. It's called Jabari Jumps. And you can probably guess by the front cover what he's trying to do. It's a boy on a diving board for those of you who are out there. So let's see what happens with Jabari here. I'm jumping off the diving board today, Jabari told his dad. Really, his dad said. The diving board was high and maybe a little scary, but Jabari had finished his swimming lessons and passed his test, so he was ready. I'm a great jumper, said Jabari, so I'm not scared at all. Jabari watched the other kids climb the long ladder. They walked all the way out to the end of the board. They stood at the edge. They spread their arms and bent their knees. Then they sprang up, 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 and went down, down, down. Splash! Ah, looks easy, said Jabari. But when his dad squeezed his hand, Jabari squeezed back. He stood at the bottom of the ladder and looked up. Oh, you can go before me if you want, he told the kid behind him. I, I need to think about what kind of special jump I'm going to do, he thought and thought. Look at him there. There's no more line, but he's still thinking. 
He started to climb, but the ladder is very tall, he thought. Are you okay, said his dad. Well, um, maybe I'm just tired, said Jabari. Uh, maybe you should climb down and take a rest, said his dad. A rest sounded like a good idea. We got to the bottom, Jabari remembered. I forgot to do my stretches. Stretching is very important, said his dad. Uh, maybe tomorrow's a better day for jumping, said Jabari. They looked up at the diving board together, he and his dad. You know, it's okay to feel a little scared, said his dad. Sometimes I feel scared, but then I take a deep breath and I tell myself I'm ready. And you know what? Sometimes it stops feeling scary and feels more like a surprise. Well, Jabari likes surprises. So he took a deep breath, felt, his, felt it fill his body. He looked up, he began to climb up and up till he got to the top. He stood up straight, he walked all the way to the end of the board. He curled his toes around the edge of the board. He looked as far as he could see. I love surprises, he said, and then he took a deep breath, spread his arms. He sprang up off the board, flying, and hit the water with a splash. Down, down, down he went, and then back up. Jabari, you did it, said his dad. I did it, said Jabari, and I'm a great jumper. And you know what? What, said his dad. Surprise double backflip is next. <laughs> I love that book. I love that book. And what I love especially about that book is that Jabari's dad was so kind and understanding, right? He felt kind of scared. He wasn't sure. And his dad just supported him and loved him through it. And when I'm feeling a little scared about something, maybe trying something new, being feeling afraid, it's always nice when someone is there with me, helping me through, giving me some courage, giving me support. And what I remember is in those times when I'm feeling scared, God is certainly always with me. And said, in fact, God tells us in the Bible so many times, do not be afraid. I am with you. Now, sometimes we're just going to be afraid. It happens, and that's okay. But it always helps me to remember God telling me, do not be afraid. I am with you. It gives me such confidence to do things even if I'm feeling scared, just like Jabari. So I hope you remember that this week. God telling each of you, do not be afraid. I am with you. So we're going to head off to Sunday school now. Ned and Max are in Finley Hall waiting for you. Peter will show you where to go, as will Jeff. Have a good time. Go now in peace. Oh, yeah, what's your question? Now's our time for our joys and concerns to share with each other so we can be in prayer with each other for our community, for our world. So if you have a joy or concern to share, I invite you to just raise your hand and let us know. Yeah, Holly. Absolutely. Holly offers continued prayers for those children who are separated from their families. Yeah, Diana. Hmm. 
Okay, so daughter-in-law's father, who is hospitalized right now in Brazil, her daughter-in-law is actually flying to Brazil um, to be with him and perhaps even to bring him back here for more medical treatment. Friend Christine, who has breast cancer that spread to her bones, will begin chemotherapy in mid-July. Prayers for her. Prayers of welcome for Monica. It's so fun when you come back and visit us. Welcome to you. Those who don't know Monica was a member here for several years and is now living elsewhere, but comes back to visit every now and then. So it's good to have you with us. Over here, yes, Leslie. Absolutely. Prayers of joy for our middle school trip. They were in Santa Cruz last week. They returned on Friday. Uh, you lifted up Jeff as their fearless leader. Uh, he wasn't alone. There were several adult leaders on that trip. So those of you who are here, thanks to you all as well. And thanks to everyone. We commissioned them last Sunday. I know they were in your prayers throughout the week, and that certainly made a difference on their trip. Well, let's have a few moments. Oh, wait, I did want to offer one, too, for Meg Brooke. Many of you know her, a member of our congregation. She had surgery on both of her Achilles several weeks ago, was recovering, ended up having to have another surgery on both of her Achilles. And it's, it's been a rough time. She has a long recovery ahead of her. Um, so just prayers of strength and comfort and patience for Meg as she heals. Also for her husband, Gil, who is her main caregiver. He was here at 830, and it's it's been a difficult time for both of them, so they would certainly appreciate your prayers. So let's take a few moments in quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
Thank you very much for that beautiful song. First scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 9, 9 to 20. Listen to what God has to say for us. The Lord is a stronghold for the pressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare the Lord's deeds among the peoples. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. She does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See what I have, excuse me, see what I suffer from those who hate me. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death, so that I may recount all your praises. And in the gates of daughter Zion, Rejoice in their deliverance. The nations have sunk in the pit they have made. In the net that they hid has their own foot been caught. The Lord has made the Lord known. The Lord has created judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall depart to show all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. Rise up, O Lord. Do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are only human. This is holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading comes from Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter, verses 35 to 41. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to you and to us this morning. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Why are you afraid? This is Jesus' question to the disciples. I've mentioned in here before, probably, that the most common commandment in the Bible is not love God. It's not love your neighbor. It's not love anyone. It's do not be afraid. That commandment 
the way I see it, is far easier given than it is received. Why are you afraid? Shall we count the reasons? I sat with a woman not long ago in the community who knows that she will lose her husband soon to disease. Sole wage earner in the family who will leave her and her children behind before long. Ask her why she's afraid. I'll never forget the summer I spent working in the financial aid office at a university, working the phones, and I remember talking to a quivery voice on the other end of a line, a woman who had just been widowed, who said, I don't know how to do any of this. My husband used to do it all. She just missed the deadline for federal aid, and there's nothing anybody can do once you've missed that deadline. My wife and I just watched the documentary this week on Mr. Rogers. Perhaps you've seen it. And part of what I was reminded of during that was just how big the world is when you're a little person and how much energy it takes to navigate all those big things that most of us take for granted. Ask them why they're afraid. Or put yourself back in middle school, if you dare, if that's not too traumatic for you. And remember what it's like just to walk across the room in front of your peers and to expose yourself to a thousand judgments about your body, about what you're wearing, you name it. We've all watched in horror at what's unfolded at the border and the terror of it. We all know there are reasons and you have your own to be afraid. And the answer seems equally obvious for the disciples. Any of you who are seafarers would know this. The boat is already taking on water from this great storm. Why do you think we're afraid, Jesus? Is he just offering some spiritual test? Well, maybe that's the interpretation many accept, and you're welcome to accept it as well. Though I prefer a Savior that doesn't play mind games. I'm reminded uh, often of something our youth director, Jeff Shankle, once said, that when people want to start following Jesus, more and more of them start to follow him, Jesus makes it harder, not easier, to follow him. Now, why is that? Is he just testing them? Is he an elitist? Is he exclusionary? Or could it be that he simply wants to be honest with them from the beginning, in the midst of their eagerness, that they know what following him will entail? That he wants to give them an honest look at the storms that will come if you decide to follow Jesus Christ, to open their eyes early. I think there's something important about going in with your eyes open. I've just begun a book by journalist Dan Rather called What Unites Us, Reflections on Patriotism. And in it, he reflects on the early part of his career when he was covering the civil rights movement. And he became friends with one of his subjects, the activist Medgar Evers. And so the call was painfully personal when he heard that Evers had been gunned down on his porch when returning home one day in front of his wife and children. 
conveniently on a day that the law enforcement that usually accompanied him disappeared. Rather's eyes were opened. And the process of his eyes being opened happened earlier still. His father brought him to a place to show him something. It was a precinct meeting in his small Texas town in 1946, when Rather was but a teenager. Now, these precinct meetings were usually largely uneventful. Everybody was in the same party and kind of agreed on everything, so it was kind of a non-event until that night when four African Americans walked in. And in those days and in those settings, what you did to voice your support for whatever was being talked about was to stand up. And Rather's father leaned down to him and nodding at the African Americans said, when they get up, we get up. And so they did. And they were the only white people in the meeting to do so. Sometimes doing what's right means doing what is scary. But you know, sometimes it's the anticipation of doing something scary that is far worse than the doing of it itself. When you can finally get right in its face, it's not so big after all. Never forget the first funeral that I really remember going to, maybe even the first one I went to, was for my Uncle Bill, for whom Liam is in part named. Liam's full name is William. And he died when I was a freshman in high school. And I remember walking back from the graveside to the car and then sitting in the car with my family, tears still coming down my cheeks. And out of nowhere, I blurted out, I'm not so afraid to die anymore. Where did that come from? Something about being so close to that which was so scary allowed the scales of that fear to just kind of fall away. Amazing how that happens, by God's grace. Many of you may remember Sina Besselow. She used to attend our Wednesday class faithfully. I was sitting with her this past year when she was dying of cancer. And she had this incredible calm and peace, this sort of serenity. And she described it, as it had been described to her, as the clear light of death. When it's right there, and there's no denying it, and all else kind of falls away, and you're able to let go. And what comes with that is this incredible clarity and, and courage and strength from the beyond. Adi Ashanti, the uh, spiritual teacher, in his book, Resurrecting Jesus, tells a story about the invasion of a village and the sacking of a town. And a samurai warrior comes upon a Zen master meditating in the garden. And the warrior draws his sword and says, don't you know I could kill you right now? To which the Zen master responds, don't you know I could allow you to kill me right now? And the warrior, never having seen someone who's not afraid of their own death, says, look at you, look how weak you are. To which the Zen master says, that is hell. And the warrior, stunned at this response, puts down his sword, to which the Zen master says, and that is heaven. 
I think what Jesus wants to teach his disciples is the ability to maintain that kind of calm, clarity, focus, strength, trust in the midst of the storm that's coming and the battle that's coming. Because the storm comes. We know that. A word about storms, water in general. If you know the scriptures well, you'll know that it comes up all the time. And in the Bible, the water and storms always represent chaos. Right? How does the whole story begin? There is watery chaos to which God sweeps down uh, over uh, as wind, which is the same word as breath. So the breath of God sweeps over the watery chaos and draws out order and creation. In Jesus, in trying to usher in a new creation, speaking a word of peace, wants followers who can likewise stay above the chaos and survive the storm. This is why we have this beautiful story in the Gospel of Matthew. When they're out on the water again and Jesus is standing on it, symbolism, and invites Peter to come out onto the water too. And Peter, in all of his eagerness, does it. And he's standing on top of it until the wind gets the best of him and he starts to sink. Showing us, reminding us how hard it is to stay above the chaos. But Jesus, of course, doesn't let him drown. He reaches out his hand. And Jesus' own hand isn't the only hand that we're given. In this story, the disciples literally have a boatload of help. They have each other. And how often do we forget that? One of the greatest shortcomings of Western Christianity is that it has reduced everything to an individual journey. A personal good. Something between God and me. But there's so much more to it. I would argue that there is very little in life that the individual is an adequate unit to face. Forget individuals, just think families. We idolize the nuclear family in this culture, and yet try and raise children with just the nuclear family without hiring out any pieces of family life. You can't do it. I don't think you can do it. And yet we act as if the strong individual should be able to do anything. Now, I blame this largely on the clumsiness of the English language. We read in the Bible all kinds of commandments, but you should do this, and you should be this way, and you should do that. And what we hear is you singular, because the English language doesn't distinguish, unless you go to seminary in Georgia, between you singular and you plural. This is why it's good to learn Greek in the South, because you say you sometimes and y'all the rest of the time. And most of the time in the Bible, you is y'all. It's almost never you singular. We're given this gift of each other to go through the world. And we need it. And how different would life be? How less stunted would it be? How easier or at least more fulfilling and manageable it might be if we did more things together? The great hymn writer John Bell 
talks about what it means to be part of the Iona community in Scotland. And they get in these small groups and they really share sort of everything. And in fact, once a year they have a meeting where in their groups they share all of their finances and then they together make decisions about how everyone will spend their money, where they at least give feedback for everyone. And there are some people in the group who barely uh, make enough each month to survive and others who are wealthy by any standard. And wouldn't you know the people who do it confess that it's a blessing and not a curse to do it. So there are sign-ups in the... kidding. (laughs) Maybe you're ready for that, maybe you're not. But there are all kinds of ways in which we can accompany each other through this journey. You heard a moment ago about this middle school mission trip, and I had the great joy of getting to drive down and spend a day with uh, that group this week. It was wonderful, and I should just stop for a second and say, by the way, that ministry is in such good hands as it has been for a long time. And if you haven't found your place in that ministry, I urge you uh, to get to praying about it. Because there's a role for everyone, not the same role, but there's a role for everyone in youth ministry. In any event, I was assigned to a group that one day I was there to go work in an urban uh, garden, an urban farm, a three and a half acre organic farm called the Homeless Garden Project. And as you can guess from the name, uh, people who have experienced homelessness apply to get into this program where they get 20 hours a week of work and they're paid for it above minimum wage and they're given job skills and all kinds of training and support, and they work in a store in the city or in the farming, and afterwards they're placed at a rate at something like 80% into a working life. It's amazing. And the undergirding message under the whole thing is there nothing is wasted and everything matters and everything can bless someone or something. They grow flowers not just because it's nice to have them, but so they can give them to hospice for free. And they grow healthy organic food so they can sell them and teach people about selling them and to give people a chance to have fresh, healthy food. And they give away food for people who can't afford it so they're not just eating out of cans, that they get fresh fruits and vegetables. And if you've never eaten a strawberry out of a ground, you've never eaten a strawberry. And the the moment we got there, they were halfway through their circle time, the program participants. They were receiving a teaching on open-heartedness. How hard must it be to be open-hearted when you've been kicked around by the world? And then they, they proceeded, after we introduced ourselves, to say, okay, now it's time for our stretches. And I thought, okay, we're going to work on the farm. I guess we should stretch. Hadn't expected that. And they said, so we'll just go around and everybody suggest a stretch. Our, our kids were unfortunately lined up first in line for the stretch suggestion. And you could see the look of horror on their faces. I was much more at peace. <clears throat> I was at the end of the line. And um, <laughs> frantically reviewing my files from being a soccer player at 15. And, uh, but they helped. Everybody helped everybody through. And it was this and this and all kinds of stuff. And it sort of hit me halfway around the circle what they were doing in warming up their bodies is reminding everybody that the well-being of the whole body depended on the well-being of everybody and and everybody there had something to contribute nothing was done in isolation that everybody was essential and important and how well do we remember that now we could stop there and some of you might prefer that we stop there 
But I think ultimately the story isn't only, and maybe even fundamentally, about facing your fears and about the gift of having each other in order to move through our fears, though those are worthy lessons indeed. Ultimately, I think the story is about the power of Jesus Christ. As Jesus offers a rebuke in this passage, we often think he rebukes the disciples. He does question them harshly. Why don't you have faith? But who does he rebuke? A storm. Now, maybe some of you sailors can speak to the storm and the waves die down. I don't know. You can ask Jim after the service or Todd or others of you. Jesus rebukes the chaos and the chaos listens. And it's a powerful reminder of who's most powerful in this universe. And that's a critical reminder to have if you're going to face the storms that we all will face. It's easy afterwards to experience the calm that comes after the storm, but who among us can experience it right in the middle, knowing what's coming and knowing who will ultimately win? That, in part, is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is it not? In the middle of this documentary called Beyond Our Differences, and it features uh, religious leaders from all over the world and human rights leaders, And there's this wonderful scene in which Desmond Tutu is talking, and you know Tutu, the archbishop in the Episcopal Church or uh, Anglican Church, great lover of Jesus, great activist against the apartheid, uh, apartheid in South Africa. And Tutu is basically offering this, this notion that faith is the trust that despite all appearances to the contrary, despite all of it, that the universe has a moral arc to it. And that knowledge, that trust, that hope gives you the affirmation to endure all manner of hell in the middle of it because you know what's coming and you know who's winning and you know where this is all headed. That's easy to say, much harder to do in the face of something like apartheid. Apartheid, by the way, which was justified by Romans 13, obey authorities, just like slavery was, just like civil rights was. I mean, the opposite of civil rights. Which is why those of us who identify as progressive Christians would do well to take the Christian part as seriously as the progressive part and read our Bibles. So when that line is perverted and taken out of context and used in misguided ways or evil ways, there is a counter to that in the public sphere that's not just angry but is scriptural. So in the middle of apartheid, how do you imagine the end of it? It seems to us now that, oh, it was inevitable that it would fail, but oh, I don't know about then. In the struggle for civil rights in this country, do you think it felt inevitable when the storms of the fire hoses were turned on? I don't know. The day before the Berlin Wall fell, did people see it coming? So how, in the midst of that, can you lean on that moral arc of the universe in the breath of Jesus Christ that can still any storm and know where it's going? Because faith is not the belief that there's nothing to fear. 
Faith is the knowledge and the grasping on to the reality that there's more to trust. Amen.
You may be seated. I do invite you to take a look at the announcements here in the bulletin so you can see what is happening here in the life of our church. Um, I do want to call your attention to one, update your contact info. We're really making an effort in our church office to make sure we have the accurate contact information for all of you, especially email addresses, which I know can change frequently. So if you've moved or if you've changed an address recently, just send a quick message to the office and let us know. Last week, I mentioned that the uh, PCUSA, the National Body General Assembly, was meeting. They um, met last week. Um, And I invite you at some point, if you have some time, to go on the website. It's ga-pcusa.org. And just take a look at what happened at GA. They covered a wide variety of topics, um, had some really good discussions. um, So it's just really interesting to see some of the actions that our our national church body is taking. Just a couple that that I heard about during the week. Um, During their opening worship service at GA, they their, um, their offering was collected, um, and they, they, had, they did a collection online. They collected $47,000, and then hundreds of folks from the convention center marched to the city justice center in St. Louis and offered that money to the bail project to provide bail for pre, people pre-screened for release but who couldn't afford their bail, often in amounts of $5,000 or less. Um, so we're able to, to provide that. Another initiative that passed was affirming um, the inclusion of transgender and non-binary people in the life of our church. Um, just an amazing act for folks who have have really been ostracized by the church in many different ways. So that's just a couple of things that happened. Go online, take a look. There's a lot happening in the Presbyterian Church USA. Uh, so at that, I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 819. <laughs>
Well, I will not be with you next Sunday, and I covet your prayers. We'll be heading up to Zephyr Point Presbyterian Conference Center in Tahoe, where I'll be the chaplain for family camp next week, in part to serve the wider church, but also secretly to scout them out, so that we might ever think of more places that could be supportive in our programming and ministry, and especially with our children. Thank you for your prayers. I'll leave Friday. Be back with you on July 8th. As you go from here, as you go from everywhere, may you go with the sure and certain knowledge of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit and the laughter of children. Amen. Thank you.